Please open now to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we will be preaching verse 23 today. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we have been in a preaching series for months now called Faith because the book of Hebrews is all about strengthening our faith. There were some Hebrew or Jewish Christians who were tempted to abandon their faith or walk away from their faith. And in chapter 11, the author takes many of the saints in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and holds them up for us to commend them for their faith and what we can learn and emulate in their lives, in our own lives today. And so this has been called the Hall of Faith, and we're going slowly through chapter 11 over months. Each character is a standalone sermon. And so once we hit one of those, but today we're introduced to the character of Moses in verse 23 into the next couple verses. And Moses uh, gets a lot more space in Hebrews chapter 11, like Abraham. Now that makes sense, right? Abraham is the father of the faith. And Moses is the one who leads the exodus out of Egypt. And so we're going to have a four-part mini-series over the next four weeks on the life of Moses. But verse 23 isn't really about Moses as I studied it more and more. Once again, I'm surprised as I read God's word because it's actually about his mom and his dad. That's right. It's about Moses' parents because many of us who are in the faith had parents beforehand who passed the faith on along to us. And so the author of Hebrews, before he pivots to Moses specifically, he looks at their faith to save their child when an edict goes out by the king to kill all of the male boys, the Hebrew boys, the Hebrew slave boys in Egypt. So I'm going to read verse 23. I'll read verses 1 and 2 just to set it up, and then verse 23, and then pray for us. And we'll drop into today's sermon, Faithful Parents. So look at verses 1 and 2 to set up the context, and then verse 23. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Now verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faithful parents. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for the gift of faith given to us directly through the Holy Spirit. But we also thank you, God, for the gift of faith given to us indirectly through our parents, Lord, that when they have been given the gift of faith, Lord, they impart the gift and graces to us through their lives. And just like sin has traveled from Adam and Eve to us, so too does grace from Abraham to us through our offspring, all the nations are blessed. And so, God, as we look at the life of Moses and his brother and sister this morning, we also celebrate the life of his mom and his dad, two characters who are often overlooked, and yet two characters who truly changed the world through their faithful parenting. And, Lord, I pray for all the parents in the room this morning that we would be inspired, not condemned by their example. And for all of us, we would see the impact that we can have, not only on lives of our peers, but on the next generation through our faithfulness. So we pray, oh God, that you would meet with us and speak to us and bring your word to life to impart the very faith that we need to be faithful Christians. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've mentioned it a few times already, but there's an important football game evidently later today. (laughs) 
Super Bowl 57 is here. Are you guys excited? Woo! And our starting quarterback, his name is Jalen Hurts. I have a picture of Jalen Hurts praying with some of his teammates here on the field. Here he is taking a kneel, not in protest, but for Jesus. Amen. And he is here leading his team in a time of prayer. And Jalen Hurts has said that his uh, faith is at the center of who he is as a believer in Jesus Christ. Here's a quote from him. He says, I've just matured and realized that God is everything. And he's worthy of praise. You have to put him at the center of everything that you do. It's what I believe. All my spiritual wisdom, all of my wisdom as a whole comes from him in some way, shape, or form. Now listen to this. Whether that be passed down from my father, my mother, my grandmother. He says, God is at the center of my life and I know he's given me this wisdom, but then he implicitly says in the quotes, yeah, and I know also it's come to me directly from God, but it's also come to me from my mom, from my dad, from my grandmom. And I have a picture of his family here, his mom and his dad, his brother and his sister. Now, this is Avrion and Pamela Hertz with his brother and sister. You see him there. And Avrion's been on a lot of interviews right now because he's, I think, a high school coach and talking about his son, how proud he is of his son. But we see his faith come alive, but we also see behind every great faithful hero, normally, not always, but normally, there's a faithful family behind them. Amen? There's usually a faithful mom and a dad, a faithful grandmother on her knees praying for the next generation. And that's true in his life. Maybe that's true in your life as well. You can look at your mom and your dad and the impact that they've had on their lives. Or maybe you're a first-generation Christian, and now you have your own children. And you say, I want to make sure that I live faithfully, but I also pass it on to my kids. Wherever you fall in that, or maybe you don't have kids, but you just want to impact the next generation, this message is for you. Because this message is about the faithfulness, yes, of Moses, but as we saw in verse 23, really the faithfulness of his mom and his dad. His parents, uh, their names are Amram and uh, Jochebed, (laughs) and we know that from Exodus 6.20, which I'll read later in my sermon. But Jochebed and Amram, who are descendants of Levi, raised not only Moses, but they really have an all-star team. Miriam, right, and Aaron are world changers, But those three characters would not be in our Bibles. In fact, Moses wouldn't even be alive to deliver the people of Israel if it wasn't for the prior faith of Amram and Jochebed. So we're going to look at three areas where we can emulate and be faithful parents in our own kids' lives or in the next generation as well. Let me give you all three points on the front end, and then I'll go through them slowly. Here we go. If you're taking notes first, faithful parents discern changing times. Faithful parents courageously obey God, and faithful parents impart faith, not fear. Again, faithful parents discern changing times, courageously obey God, and impart faith, not fear. Let's look at this first one. Faithful parents discern changing times. Now, I want to read Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, and show you how times are changing in Egypt and in the people of God. It says here, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, 
quote, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Faithful parents discern changing times. There's a pivot from the end of Genesis to the beginning of Exodus. At the end of Genesis, we just looked at Joseph's life, if you've been following us. Joseph is second in command. He's like the vice president of Egypt, right? He's Hebrew, but he's also in charge. He's brought his whole family into the land of Goshen. There's 70 of them. They're brothers and sisters. Levi is one of them. Levi's the great-grandparent of Moses. So they come in, and man, life is looking good. They got the best land for their sheep and their, their cattle, Pharaoh has favor with them. He says, a friend of Joseph is a friend of mine, right? We're going to take good care of you. But in Levi's generation, he has children and children's children and children's children's children. Levi has Kohath and Kohath has Amram. By the time Amram's an older man, he has Miriam and Aaron and Moses. And my, how times have changed in Egypt. A new Pharaoh emerges, sees Thousands of these multiplying Hebrews, millions, they're just multiplying like bunnies, right? They're all over the place. And he says, how did these guys get in here? And if they get any bigger than us, one day they might turn against us. I'm going to deal shrewdly with them now. And so rather than having an administration of favor, he has an administration of oppression. That's where the book of Exodus begins, where at first he turns them all into slaves, right? To make the bricks for all of their huge building projects that we can still enjoy as tourists today, right? You can go and see these behemoth of projects that they built with the Hebrews were the ones who were making the bricks with the straw. Later, without the straw, they were in charge of, of building the infrastructure of Egypt. But they keep multiplying and keep multiplying. And Pharaoh is still concerned. He says, you know what? There are too many of them. So I have a population control, right? Humanity is the problem. So we need to restrict and restrain its multiplication here. Not really humanity, but the, the Hebrews in particular. We want to tilt it in our favor. And so he comes up with this plan where the women who are helping give birth to the baby says, if a boy comes out, Kill him. Infanticide. We're going to get rid of all the baby boys and tilt this in our favor. But these women who give birth, the midwives, fear God, and they don't go along with the plan. They say, killing babies, that's crazy talk. And so Pharaoh goes, why aren't you getting rid of them? He said, well, the Hebrew women aren't like ours. They just give birth before we can get there, you know? And so they tell a good lie, right? Sometimes it's the right thing. They, they, they deceive Pharaoh to save themselves, but to save the boys. Pharaoh says, fine, I got a new plan. Everybody in Egypt, if you see any Hebrew boys, throw them into the Nile and drown him. Now, can you imagine living in that kind of state where all of a sudden your neighbors are looking over their shoulder? And the state itself, the new regime is saying, baby boys, throw them into the Nile. And everybody now has become an informant, right, against you and if your baby is a boy or a girl. That is how crazy Egypt has become to be a Hebrew, to be an Israelite, to be Jewish at this point. 
To be part of the people of God, you have to look over your shoulder because if you have a baby boy, people might come and kill your own children. Times have changed and these parents know it. They've already had two babies and those babies are safe. This now law has hit the land and Moses is born under this new law where his body is to be thrown into the Nile. And they will not submit to this wicked law. And so their faith discerns changing times and we'll look at it under the second point. Then they disobey this law to save his life. But I want to set up this point to say that moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, now, I don't want to project Egypt into the U.S. like Egypt's as wicked as the U.S. But we can all say times are changing, aren't they, right? And the Christian parent that doesn't discern that and doesn't instruct their children, doesn't protect their children in light of changing times will often lose their children either to assimilation in Egypt or death by the Egyptians, right? The, the world is after our kids. There is a real battle. And these parents are wise. They're discerning. And they make decisions based upon the changes that are happening in the world around them. We need to understand the times that we're living in, not to be fear mongers. We'll talk about that under our third point. But to understand the risks that our children are facing in the world that maybe we didn't have to grow up with. I mean, social media, for example, you don't even have to be a Christian to be nervous about this. They're monetizing us and they're monetizing our kids and they're also making us addicts, right? We have to be careful and discern that, moms and dads. You have to look at what our kids are gaining access to on these devices and televisions. I had one friend who was really radical. He had zero TVs in his house, all right? I'm not saying you need to go whole hog and remove all media, but putting a TV in your kid's bedroom, do you just want to invite basically the world into their brain space? Come on now, think through these things. Let's not be legalists, but let's be discerning. What are we giving access to our kids and to the next generation to import Egypt into their hearts and into their lives? These parents discerned the changing of the times. There was a time where the church enjoyed much more favor in our culture, and it's, it's just not that way anymore. Now, there's some blessings with that as too, by the way. There's a lot less people faking it on Sunday mornings. I know most of you are all in, right? Because it's not a cultural benefit to you to come to church on Sunday. It might even be a liability at this point. We're all in, amen? This is faithful. We're gonna be faithful and win people to Christ and we're still gonna do that. He gets us and we're still gonna press in and win people to Christ. But times have changed, and we can put our hand, fingers in our ears and go la, 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 and put our face in the sand, or we can get up with the times and adjust our parenting in light of that to raise up a next generation of Moseses and Miriams and Aarons by the grace of God, amen? amen. Faithful parents discern changing times. Thank you. Mama Bear apologetics, go get it. These discerning parents, what did they do? They didn't change with the times. They remained faithful despite the changes of the times. May we be found faithful today. Amen? Faithful parents not only discern changing times, they also courageously obey God. Faithful parents courageously obey God. Now, I want to read verses uh, 20 of chapter 6 just to get their names in here and then flip over to chapter 2 which was our public reading of scripture just to reread verses 1 and 3. Listen to this. 
Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. I'm so glad that in chapter 6, verse 20, we got their names, right? So I don't just have to refer to them as mom and dad. It's in the Bible. That's what their names are. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, I'll put his name in. Amram, a man of the house of Levi, went and took as his wife Jochebed, a Levite woman, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him from, from, excuse me, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Faithful parents not only discern changing times, but courageously, courageously obey God. Now, this is risky, right? You guys remember the edict that went out that basically your neighbors are now informants. If you have a child, a baby boy, that child is to be thrown into the Nile. And I know that sounds crazy, but people do crazy things, right? Look at North Korea. Look at China. Remember the one child policy that they're now trying to undo? It's crazy, but somewhere, somehow, it makes sense to people collectively, especially when the government gets behind it with propaganda right? And that is happening in Egypt right now. So it's, it's hard for us to place ourselves inside of there. But think about Germany, not that long ago. Crazy. People informing against Jewish people. This stuff still happens today. And what did they do? They didn't pull out their Bible verses about obeying your leaders and submitting to them and the government. Now, the Bible talks about obedience, and following civil leaders. And that's the normal posture of the Christian. So we're not always a bunch of revolutionaries. You know, I'm not going to pay my taxes. You know, even Jesus like, find Caesar's names on it, give it to him, whatever. You know, we normally, the normal posture of the believer is to follow civil authorities. But it's not absolute. It wasn't absolute back then, and it's not absolute. And I mean, Jesus, shoot, you know, he was often viewed as riling things up and, and fighting against the, the powers that be in the government. So baked into our scripture itself is a complexity of submission, but also courage at times to obey God rather than man. Amen? We obey God rather than man. So, pastor, how do I discern, right? How do I discern if I should obey God instead, or if this is obedience, or by disobeying man, now I'm disobeying God. It gets complex, doesn't it? Now, this seems pretty black and white, right? Kill all your baby boys. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Other times, it's not as clear. But before I go into parsing it out and giving you some tools to discern that, I want you to see just their courage on the front end, how courageous they are, not only to put their baby boy into that basket, entrusting his life to God and sovereignty of God, but the three months preceding that, where they're literally hiding him, nursing him, if he's crying in their house, fearful that somebody will hear his cries, right, in the evening and at nighttime. Those of us who are young parents, we remember, we have a lot of sleepless nights and those babies cry, and everybody hears it in the house, and sometimes everybody hears it in the next house over, right? This is a bold move. Raise this child for three months before they entrust them to this basket in the first place. They courageously protect their child 
and they courageously raise their child for three months before they place them into the basket. There's faith and courage right at the outset. But then instead of throwing their child into the Nile, now there's some irony baked into this, they put him in a boat, a basket in the Nile, right? So they float him, entrusting him to the sovereign hand of God to see what will happen with their child. Now we know how the story ends, and so we're like, sweet, here he goes into the princess. They didn't know that. They just put their child. Moms and dads, could you imagine your newborn, three months old, You literally put him in a boat and put him on the river and just pray that this child will survive and that the boat won't tip over, that an alligator won't get it, that somebody won't find and say, there's one of those Hebrew kids, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so many scenarios that don't play out the way that our Bibles show God's faithfulness to protect this child. But they will not throw their child into the river and they will not give up on this child. And so they do everything, not only them, But brother and sister as well are involved in this. We see Miriam shows up. She's the oldest child. Aaron's probably still only three or four. So, you know, he's semi-helpful, right? (laughs) Aaron's probably also a threat to Moses at this point. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, But Miriam's there, probably a teenager by this time, and floats down, and the princess, Pharaoh's daughter of all people in the world, discover this child, and she has pity and compassion. She knows exactly who he is, one of the Hebrew boys. And so she says, I'm going to raise him as my own. Miriam is chasing the boat, the basket, to make sure he's safe, sees it happen. She goes over there, and she says, can you get somebody to help me raise this child? He says, sure, I'll get one of the women to nurse him. Mom, mom, (laughs) they're going to pay you to do your normal job. (laughs) How many moms wish they had that, right? Yeah. You're getting paid to nurse your own baby. All right, this is a good deal. I mean, God really takes care of them. But I want you to see their courage at the outset, not knowing the end from the beginning. Now, let's circle back and say, how do we as believers discern whether we're called to submit to the government or whether we're called to submit to God in lieu of a command? Richard Koken, in his uh, commentary on this section, said there's four areas that he would highlight, and I think these are right, where the state commands immorality, the state abuses power, the state promotes or requires, I should say, idolatry, or the state is requiring a silencing of the gospel. You can take the stock quote down for a second. I'm not yet there yet. So those are immorality, abuse of power, idolatry, silencing the gospel. And he's not just surmising from this, this is when the believers in the Bible refuse to submit, right? Like, you remember Daniel where they wouldn't bow the knee to the golden statues or he'd only pray to God. He wouldn't. So these are, we have explicit examples, like in the book of Acts, where they say, you can't preach Jesus anymore. And they say, we have to obey God rather than man. You're going to arrest us if you're going to? Fair enough, fine enough, but I will obey God rather than man. So we have four crystal clear categories where believers are called to obey God rather than man. And sometimes we have to face the, con- the consequences of those, especially if they're unjust laws. Certainly as we celebrate Black History Month, we saw the black church face a lot of persecution, sadly at times, from our own government, but they took the consequences and because of heroes like Martin Luther King Jr. and others, uh, those unjust laws were changed. 
So at times, we do have to resist and courageously obey God. Here's a great quote by John Stott. He says, quote, If the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God's command, then our plain, our plain that should say plain Christian duty, is to resist, not to submit, to disobey the state in order to obey God. Faithful parents courageously obey God. Now, I want to be crystal clear here. There are times where we're just called to follow through and obey the government. Like, please keep paying your taxes, all right? Even if sometimes your taxes go to things that you prefer it didn't. But then there are other times where things are so wicked and so wrong, and the church needs to be a check in the power against the state. I think this is, for example, a problem of what's going on in Russia right now. The state and the church are so in bed with one another, right? They're literally telling the soldiers who are going to fight Ukraine that you're laying down your life like Jesus, right? Like this is a holy war. When there's not a check in power, happened in Germany as well, where the Christians and the state got so fused together, they couldn't rebuke with that prophetic voice and speak against that. Now, we don't have that problem in America because we have lots of different expressions of Christianity in America. But we need to be faithful, we need to know the Word of God, and we need to have a prophetic voice so that the state doesn't think it has all the power, right? I think the American founders got it right that we hold these truths to be self-evident that we're endowed by our Creator with these rights. And the moment that the state thinks that they have the rights, and they're the ones who create the rights, rather than the Creator, things go haywire. Amen? So faithful parents and faithful citizens courageously obey God. God honors and rewards their faith. He rescues their child because of it. And their obedience saves not only Moses, but all of Israel today. And so parents, please discern changing times. Please courageously always obey God in your kids' lives especially, helping them to follow God first and be good citizens, second. Thirdly and finally, faithful parents not only discern changing times, courageously obey God, but impart faith, not fear. Faithful parents impart faith, not fear. Let's go back to our key text from today out of Hebrews chapter 11 to make this point. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because... They saw that the child was beautiful. And listen to this. And they were not afraid of the king's edicts. By faith, they saw that the child was beautiful. By faith, they were not afraid. By faith, they were not afraid of the king's edicts. Why did they hide their child Moses? They were not afraid of the king. We can go back and look and be like, Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We're so afraid. They were not afraid. Nowhere in the text in Exodus and nowhere in the text in Hebrews did the author say what was driving these parents' behavior was fear. They're putting fear on the bed. You know, bit them in the pitch. They're afraid. They're afraid. They weren't afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of the king. They weren't afraid to die. They were afraid to disobey God. And so by faith, 
they hid him for three months. By faith, they put him in the basket. By faith, they raised him in their own home, being paid by the princess. By faith, they gave their son back to the princess to be raised in Egypt and in Pharaoh's household. By faith, they did it all. By faith, they raised Miriam. By faith, they raised Aaron. Their grandfather, Levi, was a great man of faith, and it's come to them and to their great-grandchildren. And they were not driving their decisions out of fear of what Pharaoh might think or do to us. No, they were driving their decisions because it was the right thing to do before God. Amen? They were not afraid. They were filled with faith. And I've just seen in my own life, in the church, I just see fear in parenting. Fear that our decisions are usually based not on faith, but on hedging against the things we're afraid of. I'll tell you what, it's not attractive to our kids. They can feel it, right? Like, it's not attractive to other people. We're just running around scared all the time. No, we're not people of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? We're not people of fear. We have the Holy Spirit. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Our decisions are made by faith because it's the right thing to do, amen? They're not driven by fear. They're driven by faith. You see the true spirit of the covenant, the faith that entered into Moses' life from infancy on, that faith that was imparted to him. Because his first years of life were not in Pharaoh's household. They were in the formative care of Amram and Jochebed with his brother and sister. And think about the kind of instruction and training he had to receive in those early formative years to prepare him to resist all the worldly influences of Egypt, right? Because he's going to get passed on. And I'm sure he loved his adoptive mom. He wasn't looking to be like a real jerk and I'm a Hebrew, you know. But later in life as an adult, when he sees his people oppressed, he says, I identify with them, not with the oppressor, right? I identify with the church. I identify with that slave. Those are the people I'm loyal to. I know where I came from. I remember my mom and dad. I remember my brother and sister. It's not like Aaron shows up later. It's like, who are you? I was your big brother. You don't remember me. No. He's like, God, I can't speak. Who will speak for me? Your brother Aaron will do just fine. All right, that'll work. (laughs) He knows his brother and sister. And then Exodus, the three of them are heavy hitters, right? Look at the faith imparted not only to Moses through his mom and his dad, but to his other brother and sister. I mean, his sister was one of the, she's the first explicitly called prophetess in our Bibles, right? Like we got prophets and prophetesses, female leaders in the church, right? She's the first one. Miriam's prophesying after the Red Sea parts and so forth. She is speaking the word of God. She is a heavy hitter in the church. Aaron, Aaron is there. He's his mouthpiece. He's speaking when Moses himself is afraid, right? And Aaron, the whole Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, right? It's named after him, right? Like, he's the real deal through Levi, Aaron, the future leaders of the church. So we look at Moses, but look at the trio. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens in a godly family. The more I just thought about this, I'm like, it's, it's almost a scandal that we don't know the mom and dad better. Like, I wish I could just take a parenting class under them. (laughs) Like, if I could raise three of those kind of kids. World changers, right? And, oh my goodness, the very, 
one they entrust him to. Here's the power of God, right? Cast into the Nile to be drowned. Instead, he's put in a basket, rescued, and the subversive power of God to go into the very heart of the beast and raise up the deliverer under Pharaoh's own nose, right? And destroy Pharaoh's evil empire. God is so powerful, but he uses moms and dads and brothers and sisters to change the world for good. The power of faithful parents. I do want to say as we bring this sermon to a close, they were faithful parents. They were faithful brother and sister. They were a faithful family, but they were not a sinless family. You know, Miriam gets jealous, Aaron gets jealous at times. She gets to have leprosy outside the camp for a little hiatus until they cooled their jets, right? They were faithful, they were faith-filled, but they were not sinless. Even Moses himself, I mean, he didn't get to enter the promised land because he struck the rock twice, right? Whoa, 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 Moses, who do you think you are? That's not what I told you to do. Faithful, not sinless. But this story prepares us for a bigger narrative in our whole Bible. Because we see in the book of Revelation, the dragon, the beast, the enemy of our souls is always looking to take out the children of the promise, right? And this fierce, fiery dragon of old, just like he was hunting after Moses to deliver, he was hunting after baby Jesus, not through Pharaoh this time, but through the tyrannical rule of King Herod, right? And what did the barons do in Bethlehem? They did not submit to King Herod's edict to slaughter their son. They fled back to Egypt, right? Out of Egypt, I called my son, and they saved him. And because of that, Jesus Christ, the true and second Moses, the true and second Adam, the true and perfect deliverer, the only holy family that led to a sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, has come to deliver all of us from all oppression, from all evil, and from all evil empires from now into eternity. Amen? This story just whispers the name of Jesus because Jesus has been the final deliverer, the final one that's come to rescue us. And by obeying Jesus, you obey God every single time. Moms and dads, follow Jesus. Moms and dads, teach your children to follow Jesus. May we be found faithful like Amran and Jochebed, like Mary and Joseph, to discern changing times. Courageously obey God and impart faith, not fear, to the next generation. Amen?